Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts with all that is in us. We lift up our praises, our worship. We direct it to you alone because Christ alone is worthy to be praised. The Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. Our Father, we thank you today. We, we thank you for your word to us. I pray that every heart represented here, everyone who's here, would right now prepare their hearts to hear from the Lord. Thank you that you love us this much, that you have something to say to us and you're willing to tell us, that you have revealed truth to us. We are not left wondering, but we know the truth and his truth sets us free. And those who've been set free by Christ, the truth, are free indeed. So we praise you and we thank you from hearts liberated to rejoice and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The greatest danger to planet Earth is not climate change. It's not Kim Jong-un. It's not radical terrorism. You want to know what the greatest danger to planet Earth is? Are you ready? I don't think you're ready for this. Are you ready? It's a disobedient, distracted, disloyal church. That's the greatest danger to planet Earth. Why am I saying that? Why? Because the church is God's only plan for the planet Earth. And God will shake the planet to wake the church. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Joel? Count 11 chapters, 11 books back from Matthew. Or go to Hosea and go the next one over. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah. Do you know the, uh, can you rhyme off the 12 minor prophets? There's a song, but we'll not do it. I might, though. I might before this series is over. Get Jordan to practice me up. God has something to say to you and to me today about when he is trying to say something to you. That's how I would characterize the book of Joel. The word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Minimal details but maximum prophecy, maximum impact. Hear this, you elders. So we know that this prophecy is not to the people outside of faith. This is God speaking to his people. This is God speaking to the people of God. This is God speaking today to the church. The word of God to us, hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What? What does God want us to tell to the children? What has happened? What is he talking about? He's talking about locusts. Locusts. When the conditions are right and the land becomes fertile, 
and God is stirred up. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Locusts are a tremendous, destructive force inside of weeks. Economic ruin can come to an agrarian culture. And so it was in the days of Joel as he prophesied that God was bringing judgment upon, upon the land in the form of locusts. Locusts lay eggs and for 20 years they can lay dormant in the ground. And when the conditions are right, when the, ground, when the, the crops become fertile, these this judgment of God in this case can pour forth and those eggs that lay 20 years dormant suddenly spring to life. And you have this incredible, to an agrarian culture, instantaneous economic downturn, which can actually have effects, lingering effects for years to come because in a in a desert kind of climate, which we're talking about here, it may not rain for two or three years. They may not have a bumper crop again for years to come. And if that one bumper crop is wiped out, you have instant depression economically. Now, we had just interacted with the book of Hosea, and we know that times were great. Times were going phenomenally economy was great, the crops were growing, and God thunders from heaven. Because the bottom line is, if the church is not healthy, if the church on the hill is not happy, help, healthy, Parliament Hill cannot fix it. If the church on the hill is broken, Parliament Hill cannot cause it to be repaired. So what was going on at this time to bring such extreme attention from God? Well, let's keep reading. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. God here is calling the locusts a nation. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The oil, fail, the oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. 
Down to verse 16, has not the food been cut off before your very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain is dried up. How the cattle moan, the herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. What a desperate scene God has allowed to come upon this group of people. What was going on? We introduced the idea last week, and it carries forth into this week. Concerning the crisis of religion. The crisis of religion as it relates to the true and living God is which, in which direction it will travel. We talked last week about, being the, two, uh, about the two possibilities. We talked about uh, our, our uh, responsibility or the re- reality of our religion with the living God. We can either be in relationship with God whereby we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and body, or we are living a ritualistic relationship with God because we are just going through the motions. If we are not vigilant, if we are not, uh, um, if we are not continually nurturing our relationship with the living God, it is very easy to slip into a just-go-through-the-motions kind of time. And that's what was happening in the time of Joel. God's people were were full blast into ritualistic religion. And what's the problem with that? There's a lot of problems with that. But in particular, why does God uh, rise up and get the attention of his people when he sees this happening? You see, we have three realities that are going on in our culture right now. We have those people who have a passionate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about our country. At this point, let's just talk about our country. We have people who have a passionate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They love the Lord with all of their heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. We have another group of people who are somewhat connected to uh, the living God, and they have a ritualistic relationship with Him. They're just going through the motions. They attend church, they maybe put something on the offering plate, but they don't have a passionate relationship with the living God. They may or may not be even saved. For whatever reason, uh, religion has become a habit for them. Sundays is just something you do. You were raised as a kid, you go to church, you go to church on Sundays, you put something on the offering plate, you go through the external motions, but you don't have anything really vital going on with the living God. There's a gigantic problem with that because the third reality in our country is individual rights. Those people who are lost and have no interest in the living God particularly are characterized in our culture and a majority are growing up through the millennial ranks are those people who are their highest values. Their religion is individual rights. If the church is to have any impact with those people who have values that are entirely centered on individual rights, it will have to be and demonstrate a radically different passion for the living God. 
Because if they look at the church and they just see a bunch of people going through the motions and actually living any way they want to, they will say, why would I go that direction? Why would I have anything to do with church? It's really no different than me, except it ties me up on Sundays. I'd rather just do what I'm doing. And so the time of Joel, you have the people of God regressing into ritualism and making no impact on the people of the world. And that's why the church becomes the most dangerous reality for planet Earth. Because as the church goes and as the church's health is, so God responds on this planet. God will shake this planet to wake his church. This petition we're signing about the uh, government of Canada and its it's imposing its values, increasingly imposing its values, overreaching its values toward the people of God is a result, a direct result of a weak church in Canada. For decades, the church of Jesus Christ has not been a model or an example for those who are governing our country. And so they become emboldened. And they're ramming their values down our throat because they don't think we care. If you repeatedly ignore God's word, you flaunt your sin, you keep giving God your leftover rituals and credit your blessings to your own strength or some other God, you may find yourself at the business end of God's strange work as the prophet Isaiah calls it, or a breakout of his anger, or another word for it is judgment, or day of the Lord. They're all the same thing. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 28, 21, talks about the judgment of God being his strange work, his alien task. I'll talk about that in a few moments. When God becomes provoked at his people who have been presuming on his grace and shamelessly sinning and in effect steering the lost further away from the truth, God has all of the resources in the universe at his disposal to get our attention, to get your attention and to get my attention. He may have many things going on in your life. This is a whole cultural judgment. But God may be, at this very moment, calling on his resources to get your attention because of slippage in your life. God used a plague of locusts to actually gobble up what Israel was convinced was the evidence of their blessed life. Look at us, look at our crops. While they were bending their knees to the bales, giving credit for the crops to their astral deities and their farmer savvy. And God says, I'll, I'll show you how, uh, how well you handle your own, things on your own strength. He calls up locusts. The day of the Lord, five times that phrase is used in the, in the, in the scriptures here. Day of the Lord, 115, 2-1, 2-2, 3-4, 4-5, 6-7, 8-9, 10-11, 12-13, 13-14, 14-15, 16-17, 18-19, 20-21, 22-23, 24-25, 26-27
2.31 and 3.14. A day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? It's a date with God at Jehoshaphat, it says in this book. Jehoshaphat means the place of the Lord's judgment. God's strange work. You see, Yahweh, the living God, is at holy war against unholiness in his people. God, God will not allow us to wander around and commit unholy acts with impunity. He ultimately has to step in, and he will step in, against all unholiness. In the case of, uh, of the day of the Lord, these are, these are break-ins, or breakouts, literally, of the anger of God, where he demonstrates his anger against sin. There have been many of them ha- that have happened down through the scriptures. Uh, breakouts uh, breakouts of, of his wrath upon us are days of judgment designed to stir God's people to repentance that, that they are so overwhelmed by the circumstances that he's allowed to come into their lives that they look heavenward and turn from their ways and turn to God. But each of these days of the Lord, these breakouts of God's anger and wrath towards sin are harbingers of one ultimate day of the Lord, which Joel talks about here at the very end. The day of the Lord. His day. When God will finally say, enough. Enough. And he will bring the day of the Lord, his day of vindication. These are preparatory for our hearts to get us ready, to make sure that we're ready for the the day of the Lord because one day he will call an end to all of this. So take a long look, God is saying to his people. Take a long, long look at these locusts and you tell me how's it working for you operating on your own strength. How are you enjoying the fruit of deception to trust and rely on your own strength. The same fruit that started this whole problem from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. When God made the universe, it was very good. It was holy. And the enemy of our soul broke into that world and tempted Eve with the fruit of deception, telling her, Eve, you don't need to pay attention to God. You can do this thing all on your own. You, you, you know what? If you eat this fruit, the fruit of deception, he didn't call it that. If you eat this fruit, look at it. It's really good. It looks good to eat. If you eat this fruit, you will become like God. You will know good and evil. You, you, you don't even need God anymore. You can bypass him. You can handle life on your own that way. And what did she do? She took the fruit of deception and bit into it big time. And handed it to her husband, who was standing there with her, and he bit as well. And humanity has been biting on the fruit of deception ever since. Convinced that we know better than God. We can handle this life ourselves. God's got a lot of restrictions I don't like. I know better than God. I know what will make me happy better than God. And God says, take a long look at these locusts, and you tell me, How has it been working for you, depending on your own strength? And so he will say to you, Tony Evans in his book, America Calling a Nation Back to the Lord, says this, when God is your problem, only God is your solution. 
this wasn't about locusts deciding that they were going to do something. This was about God deciding that he would use locusts to send a message. I want to share three things very quickly with you, three things God wants to say to you in this book about going through the motions. You can learn the easy way or the hard way. But these lessons must be learned about God. When he says, have you seen anything like this ever? We should pay attention. Has anything like this ever happened before? He's trying to get our attention. The first thing that God wants to say to you is this, that he is completely sovereign over nature. God is completely sovereign over nature. Now, you know, I put this, this point together, and I, I, I had the sermon notes already, and I was reviewing it last night, and I'm going over it. Yeah, yeah, I know this stuff. Yeah, God, I know this stuff. Yeah, you're sovereign over nature. I know that. I mean, I've taken, I've, I've conceded to that a long time ago. No big deal. I'm just going to, and I thought, God, just like, stop. You haven't, you were not even thinking about this. You're not even paying attention to the, the awesomeness, the gravity of this, the reality of this. That God is sovereign, entirely dominant over all of nature. Stop and think about that. If that's true, and it is, if God can call up a band of locusts, a, a swarm of locusts, millions and millions of animals, little creatures that we can just... But suddenly in the hands of Almighty God become a force that causes economic ruin and depression in a whole country. There isn't anything that God can't do. I mean, he's either, he is either, if he's sovereign over all of nature, over all of creation, then, then the, the issue of creation is nothing. The, the, the reality of resurrection is no big deal to God. The raising of someone from the dead, that Jesus Christ would come and die on a cross, be buried and be risen again by God. If God is dominant over all of life to this degree, then there's nothing that, that, that God can't do. When, when we talk about God being sovereign over all of nature, we are completely reliant and dependent upon the forces of that reality that the sun came up again today or that the earth rotated towards it, uh, turned enough so it would come. If God wanted to, he could stop the earth from turning and we would never in Canada ever see the light again. That would be an attention-grabbing thing. For a week, I'm going to stop the earth from rotating and let the scientists try and figure that one out. If I were God, I'd have all kinds of uh, things going on. <laughs> I, I don't, you, you wouldn't even want to, I'm thankful he's God because I would be, I, oh, I couldn't take it. These professors, as they were teaching, I'd be just like doing stuff. But anyway, <laughs> God is, God is wiser and better. Thank the Lord. 
Do you know what God says here in Joel chapter 2, verse 20? I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. He's talking about the northern army of his locusts. He says, here's what I'll do. If I, if I decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dump the northern half of the army. I'm going to dump them in the Dead Sea. That's exactly what I'll do. And if I want to dump the, the, uh, the lower half of this massive army of millions and millions of locusts in the Mediterranean Sea, that's exactly what I'm going to do. You see, locusts, they aren't very good flyers. You ever seen grasshoppers fly? They're okay. When they fly, they kind of require a breeze to blow the, uh, with them so that they can drift somewhere. And that's how this swarm happens. It swarms, they swarm up and they drift over top and they go in rolls. God says, if I want to take a breeze and blow some of them into the Dead Sea, that's exactly what I'll do. And if I want to take a, a breeze and blow some of them into the Mediterranean Sea, that's exactly what I'll do. If God is that powerful... Is there anything too hard for him to do in your life or for you? Our life is a house of cards if we're building it on our own strength. We're like a piece of tissue paper in a tornado compared to the forces that God is controlling and in power. All of creation is engaged in the drama of God's redemption. Romans 8 verses 19 and following. Do you realize creation is groaning? Yes, we do. Under the effects of fallenness, eventually to be destroyed. This planet Earth that we are on, uh, it, it has an expiration date that God has already established. Regardless of climate change and all the things that people are talking about. Well, speaking of climate change, I, I was reading an article the other day. The Arctic Ocean is warming up. Icebergs are growing scarcer, and in some places, the seals are finding the water too hot. According to a report to the Commerce Department yesterday from Consul Ift at Bergen, Norway, reports from fishermen, seal hunters, and explorers, he declared, all point to a radical change in climate conditions and unheard of temperatures in the Arctic zone. Exploration expeditions report that scarcely any ice has been met uh, with as far north as 81 degrees, 29 minutes, Soundings to a depth of 3,100 meters showed the Gulf Stream still very warm. Great masses of ice have been replaced by moraines of earth and stones, the report continued, while at many points, well-known glaciers have entirely disappeared. Very few seals and no white fish are found in the eastern Arctic, while vast shoals of herring and smelts, which have never before ventured so far north, are being encountered in the old seal fishing grounds, according to the Associated Press. Dated November 2nd, 1922. This whole climate change impetus has been going on for quite some time, it would seem. It's now, it seems it's become a marketing choice of the politicians. So what was causing the problem back in 1922, November 2nd, Washington Post? The 1922 Packard Twin 6 Model 335 and horse manure, is that what was the problem with the atmosphere? Make no mistake about it, there is climate change, but not because of the exhaust from a Volkswagen, although I will admit it doesn't help. 
God has, God's prophetic clock has been ticking and ticking and ticking and ticking. And someday, it's all going to be destroyed. And a new heaven and a new earth will be created by the living God. The question for all of us to face is will you be there in the new heavens and the new earth? If you have a relationship, and I'm not talking about a ritual, I'm talking about a relationship with the living Jesus Christ who has transformed your life by his precious blood and what he did for you, then you will be there. If you're going through the motions, just parking your body here on Sundays and going through the ritual and putting something in the offering plate and walking away and living every day of your life any, any way you choose, then you will not be there. And God has got all the resources of the universe at his disposal to convince you to change your heart and your mind. Secondly, God is jealous for exclusive and authentic worship. And he will go to every extreme to secure it. Living God didn't make a personal visit to this planet to endorse religious ritual. The living God did not give up his son to die on a cross of Calvary to pay for our sins so that we could go through the motions and external ritual. He visited our planet, planet Earth, that he might give himself as an offering that we might have a living relationship with the living God. And he is jealous for exclusive and authentic worship, and he is willing to even place the ministry in jeopardy to elevate its neglect and importance. Do you see what we read here already? Uh, in verse 9 of chapter 1, the priests are mourning those who minister before the Lord. Why? Because the grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. Guess what? When the fields went down, the offerings stopped. When there's an economic collapse, there's nothing for the offering plate. You say, well, would God do that? Yes, God did that. And yes, God will do that. God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. He was sick of the temple that had fallen into neglect. We are the temple of the living God. God's people and worship are indivisibly connected. That's what God wants to teach us here. We're indivisibly connected. The blessings in your life are directly proportional to the health of this ministry. Let's, let's micro this down from a macro picture to a micro picture of the Calvary Baptist Church. The blessings in your life and my life are directly proportional to the health of this church. The spiritual health of this church. If it goes down, you are going down. I am going down. If you're going down, it's going down. If you're sick, it will be sick. If you let it get sick, you will be. Whatever you're allowing in your life that is obstructing the complete fidelity toward the Lord and absolute worship of God must go. It has to go. The answer to wrong worship isn't no worship, it's right worship. And God is calling his people to right worship. God is alarming his people. God is speaking to his people. God is getting very noisy with his people and he is today to us 
These little things that are going on around us are God speaking. God is giving us the government we deserve. That he might wake us up. Because a wayward world is looking for a worshipless church so that it can endorse its deviant behavior. You see, people... All people, whether they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ or not, are made in the image of God. And because all people are made in the image of God, there is a vestigial sensitivity toward God. So when they sin against God, it bothers their conscience. If you want to understand what's going on and why the pressure is on the church to conform to the culture, it's so that the culture can start feeling better about itself. And if the church waves a white flag and surrenders, the culture will get darker and darker and more deviant. The culture will continue to feel guilty toward a living God for their sinfulness unless the church gives them a reason not to. That's why we can't let up. That's why we have to, by God's strength and in prayer, ask God to turn up the, the temperature, turn up the spiritual temperature in the church that we might once again be the lighthouse for the country, that we might once again be the people who the politicians will look to and say, we can't mess there. In fact, they're influencing and impacting our country as opposed to the other way around. It should not be the, the wickedness of a government uh, ramming its values down the throat of a culture. It should be the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ transforming the culture by its light and by its heat. And God will get our attention if we don't turn to him ourselves. But here's the good news of all of this. In Joel 2, verse 12, in the midst of this mess, God says this, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments, I don't want your rituals, I don't care what you put on as clothing, and you can tear your clothing and make a big deal about everything, but if your heart isn't changing, it's not working for me. God, thirdly, is compassionate in forgiveness. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. This is the ground zero of our hope. It can always be different. This is why I preach. This is, a, this is what gets me up to preach every Sunday morning is the hope of God that things can be different, that we don't have to live this way, that your life can be turned around. Regardless, you, you, you might be sitting there today saying, no, you don't know, it's way too bad. I'm in way too deep. I can't, I, I, I've got to do some preparatory work before I get it. God says, even now, 
I don't need any preparation work. I don't need you to do anything. I don't need you to do some preliminary stuff. God says, I just need a heart that's willing to turn even now to me. Regardless of where you are. God is compassionate in forgiveness. Repentance matters to God. We are in a few moments going to gather as a church family around the Lord's table and be reminded that God is a forgiving God, that he is willing to take our sins and throw them as far as the east is from the west. I look out here and I've, I've seen the journey in your life. Many of you, I've seen what God has done for you. It's amazing what God has done what God wants to do for you. But know this, God will not change, so you and I have to. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. His word is the same. What he says is the same. God will not change his requirements and who he is. That's why repentance is our job. We must turn to him from where we are and where we are going And God is open to relenting. You see what he says here? Return to the Lord. Who knows, verse 14, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. God is open to relenting. Why? Because he prefers compassion over judgment. That's why the prophet in Isaiah called it God's strange work, God's alien task. God prefers to forgive. God prefers to be compassionate. Judgment is his last resort. Judgment is not who God is. You know, I get so frustrated when I hear people who know nothing about God saying, well, I, the reason I don't like God is he's a, hard, he's a hard God. The God of the Bible is always about wrath and judgment and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if they slipped in for a few moments in this sermon, they'd be, see, I told you, he sends locusts and he does all kinds of things. They would be saying, listen, that's, that's God's strange work. That's because of the unholiness of mankind. That's because we continually choose against the best and we choose our way. But God is, as described here, God is compassion. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love. God relents from sending calamity. That's who God is. Judgment is what we drive God to do. God cannot and therefore won't dwell among dirty people. That's why God does not indwell lost people. And human, rit- human religious rituals are a fake cleanup attempt. You've heard of fake news? There's fake cleanup as well. Virtually all of the religions of the world are attempts at fake cleanups. Only in Christ can a human life be clean enough for God to indwell. That's why 1 John 1, 7, John writes this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Christ Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It is that alone that enables us to be in a situation where God can indwell us. God cannot and therefore won't dwell with, among dirty people. 
Authentic, wholehearted repentance makes way for an outpouring of the Spirit. In verse 28, and afterward, you know, this, the, the whole thing is summarized almost in verse 27. Why did God go about to do all of this? Why does God bring these awarenesses to our lives? Why will God bring judgment? Verse 27, then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. And afterward, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. The New Testament writers viewed that as a promise of the new covenant where the spirit of God would come as people repented and, and, and the, the living God, the outpouring of the spirit in salvation and restored blessings would occur in a pe- person's life through fellowship with the living God. So, what should we do? All the more as we see this culture slipping away into oblivion, the church healthy is critical. There couldn't be a more important hour for a healthy church than right now. And we are on the edge of one way or the other. The planet is in danger by our lack of passion for Christ. So if you care, rather than march around caring about climate change, you should care about climate change in the hearts of God's people because that's the climate change that really matters right now. In 114, it says to assemble at the place of corporate worship. I'm looking out here. Good for you. Check. Step one, done. Step two, trade ritual for relationship. 213, rend your heart and not your garments. I don't care about your externals. God says, I care about your heart. Do I have your heart? Do I have your heart? Does God have your heart this morning, beloved? In 2.15, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Bring together the elders, gather the children. Respond to the call-outs of faithful leaders, truth-tellers in your life. In 2.17, let the priests who minister before the Lord weep before the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Throw yourself at the mercy of God and seek messages of salvation. And then wait for the promised blessings to follow of genuine repentance. Look what God promises in verse 25 of chapter 2. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm and my great army that I send among you. Every single level of destruction that I allowed to, to gain your attention, I will restore and more. God longs to restore. God longs to bring back into your life what the locusts have taken away. Turn, return to him. Repent and wait for the promised blessings of genuine repentance. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Joel 2.32, will be saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Father, I pray. First of all, 
Would you forgive us, O God, for our sloppy relationship with you? Lord, we confess right now, we just, our heads and our hearts are bowed before you. You have spoken to us. You have convicted us, O God, that our country and our government is in the state it's in, justifying values that are immoral, is an indictment on the church of Jesus Christ. We have failed to represent the glory of Christ. We have failed to make you look good, O God. And we repent of it. Forgive us, O God. And would you write us and write our hearts that we might truly reckon with the forgiveness of our sins in Christ Jesus and the setting free of all that means to us. Would we rightfully be able to go to this table now, the Lord's table, and with right hearts, O oh God, recommit ourselves to loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, I pray. Every man, every woman, every young person, every child, O oh God, for the glory of God and the rescue of our country, for Jesus' sake, amen. In the early 1900s, Wales, the country of Wales, was in a desperate situation, spiritually. And there was a movement that was beginning within the churches to recognize that. On February 14, 1904, there was a service in a chapel in Wales. The pastor was inviting people to stand to their feet and give testimony to what the Lord had done for them. He was frustrated because many of them seemed to miss the point. But there was a young girl by the name of Flores Evans who stood to her feet and said this, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of my heart. It was said that when she finished saying that, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit settled into that congregation in a way never before experienced. Connected to that meeting was a nobody pastor like most of us are, called Evan Roberts. He had been praying for two hours a day for the revival of his country. The Lord impressed upon his heart in the falling of the Holy Spirit to pray seven hours a day. The Lord further burdened his heart to ask for a hundred thousand souls to be saved. And so he prayed that outrageous prayer. Before the year 1904 was completed, over 100,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Such is the power of God. I'm fully convinced that God is doing something very powerful at Calvary Baptist Church. I've been convinced of that for some years now. 
My question is this. Who is the Flory among us? Who is the Evan Roberts among us? Oh, Father, we long for our country, Canada, to know Jesus. But we must first know him ourselves. And we must first love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, body, strength. Unless you mean everything to us, I can't imagine why you will mean anything to anybody else. And so our God, because you have saved us and have given us this remarkable ministry of reconciliation, I pray, O oh God, that our hearts would be right before you and that our nation would turn and that hundreds of thousands of people would come to know you. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.